This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, it's sad news, but it's the last show for the rest of the month. We'll put a wrap up on the Hall of Fame ceremonies, the awards banquet, and of course the NLL draft. We'll talk about some moves that the Vancouver Stealth have made, and the Toronto Rock have more Americans on their roster than ever before. All that and more on OTCB. I am an What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Uh, you can get a hold of me at the show two really simple ways. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. It has been an incredible 2016 lacrosse season, and for the most part, the year of lacrosse for 2016 is over. Um, NLL's done, Canadian Summer Ball is done, the drafts are done, and the awards and Hall of Fame are done. And now we're in this kind of buffer zone of October, getting us ready for NLL training camps that will start sometime in November. All teams will kind of start mid to late November, depending on um, not only when they start their season, but floor times and player availability and all those other good things. So you can expect camps to start in a little over a month. So that's going to give us some time here at OTCB to take some time off, recharge our batteries, store up some interviews for later use, and also just get away from the studio in this really stinky microphone here at Zone Control in Victoria. So never fear, we will be back. Um, We're just going to take some time off and uh, kick our feet up watch some MLB playoffs, the start of the NHL season, and just, you know, slowly watch the progression of some of these National Lacrosse League teams as they take shape. Uh, Free agent signings come about. Uh, All these drafted players will eventually start signing one-year, most likely one-year entry-level contracts uh, that basically just allows them to attend camp. Uh, That's the big caveat with any National Lacrosse League deal, no matter how many years it is. There's no guaranteed money in the NLL, so whether they're signing a one-year, two-year, five, ten-year deal, none of that money's guaranteed, so they can be cut at any time, and all the contract really does is just make sure that they're under contract and contractually and insurance-wise eligible to be at practice and at training camp. Um... You know, you might have uh, a couple players on teams that aren't quite signed yet. Some of those UFAs and RFAs that are still lingering out there. Uh, And there are still a few. And if they aren't signed by the time training camp comes, whether if they're not retiring and they still want to play, they're not able to actually attend camp and be on the floor uh, until they get that contract signed. Uh, They may be at camp, but they won't be on the floor uh, participating in drills until they can get those contracts signed. So... You know, keep up to date with NLL.com. Uh, keep following me on Twitter. I'll have as much information uh, as I can when things come out. So it's been, um, you know, a crazy last week, if you want to call it that, for the National Lacrosse League season because it was a historic week. It was the National Lacrosse League entry draft on Monday night. The Saskatchewan Rush making history uh, for all intents and purposes, the first professional sporting team to have a head coach slash general manager draft his son first overall when the Saskatchewan Rush and head coach GM Derek Keenan drafted his son Ryan Keenan out of Quinnipiac and from the Brooklyn Redmen. Uh, a, a very special night. Uh, it was kind of weird to see Ryan take the podium. Um, I'm not sure I've ever seen a first overall draft pick or any draft pick just kind of walk up and have his say. It was a weird sensation, a weird thing. I kind of liked it, though. Um, obviously, it would have kind of lost its luster if everybody would have gotten up there and we would have had, you know, 52 people speaking. Um, but I kind of liked the fact that they let the first overall pick get up there and have a few words. Uh, and Ryan, a very well-spoken young man, and, you know, you could tell he was nervous and, and he's still a little bit gun-shy at times, but... 
uh, did a really nice job, and I know he's chomping at the bit to get things started with the rush and, and again, continue his tutelage under his father. He played for his dad, Derek, uh, with Brooklyn, so he kind of knows what to expect. Um, so I don't think there'll be too much of a learning curve. And, and when we had Derek Keenan on the show uh, a couple weeks ago, just talking about, you know, uh, how it would be, you know, it'd be interesting to see the dynamic, um, but whether he went to Saskatchewan, which I always kind of knew he was, or he went to Toronto, Ryan was going to be absolutely stoked. And, you know, he has to be thrilled uh, to have pulled on that Rush jersey and now to begin his National Lacrosse League career as a member of the two-time defending champion, Saskatchewan Rush, looking for the three-peat. And you know what? They've made some changes to the roster, but it hasn't been overhauled. Um, they move Zach Greer in favor of Adam Jones. Uh, they move John Lintz, which allows them to bring in Mike Messenger, who they got third overall. Uh, the trade of Zach Greer also allows them to kind of, and sorry, enter of Riley Lowen, which is what's going to allow Ryan Keenan to most likely slide right into the offense. So uh, Derek Keenan retooling, not rebuilding the two-time champs and looking to go for that three-peat. And the pick that really got me was their second-round pick uh, when somehow uh, at 14, Matt Hossack, who is a predicted top-five guy, fell to 14, and then Saskatchewan traded up from 19 so that they could draft him. Like, not only did he fall to 14, Saskatchewan was like, what is going on here? They, like, they couldn't believe it. And Derek Keenan texted me after this, like, I, he was even shocked that Haas was still available. So he pulled off a deal with New England, jumped up five spots to 14 from 19, and drafted Matt Hossick. So not only did they get Ryan Keenan and Mike Messenger, two of the top three players in the draft, they probably got the fourth best player in the draft at 14. So uh, great draft by the Saskatchewan Rush. Um, I really like the draft. It's an interesting draft for the Georgia Swarm as they go and get Brian Cole and Connor Sellers, uh, two guys I, to be honest, didn't know a whole lot about. Um, but for everybody that I spoke to, they're really high on both of those guys. Cole, a lefty, uh, could probably play transition. Connor Sellers is just a big body, and Georgia needed help. Um, I don't know if they needed as much offensive help. They still have bodies there. Uh, when I talked with Jamie Dowick of the Toronto Rock, who has Brian Cole in Oakville, the Major Series League, he sa- I said, would you play Cole in transition? He goes, absolutely. Without a doubt, uh, he's a better two-way athlete than he is just a straight front door guy. Uh, so Georgia, you know, they're not going to have Jesse King this year. So now you have um, Shane Jackson. They traded for Jordan Hall. Uh, they're hoping Johnny Palace is going to be healthy. He's dealing with some concussion issues. Uh, so hopefully he can get those put back behind him and, and be healthy and have his head sort of stable for the start of the year. And if they can have those three lefties and then run Brian Cole in transition, some of those other bodies that they have running the floor, uh, I'm okay with that offense in Saskatchewan. And then they add Connor Sellers to beef up the back end along with Leo Storos, and they're going to be better. And the position that they're going to be most improved at, I think, all year is going to be in goal. And that was sort of their Achilles heel over the years when they added Mikey Poulin as a free agent to a three-year deal. So don't sleep on the Saskatchewan the Saskatchewan Swarm, the Georgia Swarm, uh, because they're going to be much improved and wanting to build off a third-place performance last year in the East. And I think they're going to be a contender. I think the East is going to be uh, just as competitive. Some people don't think the Toronto Rock are going to be um, much improved. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, you know, they add Challen Rogers. Uh, they end up adding Latrell Harris, which was a bit of a surprise pick at 12. The 18-year-old, the youngest player in the draft, and again, when I talked to Jamie Dowick, I was kind of, I said, really? And this is, literally, this is word for what I asked Jamie Dowick. I said, did Harris impress that much at the combine for you to take him at 12? And honestly, Dowick said, actually, he wasn't very good at the combine. He was probably one of the least impressive guys in a lot of GM's mind at the combine. Now, 
He has a couple different varying opinions on possibly why. But when I said, when I asked him, I said, well, where did you guys have him on your board? And he said they had him as high as four behind Keenan, Challen Rogers, and Mike Messenger. That's how high they were on this kid. And Toronto Rock did um, a great little video after the draft. It was, they called it, you know, the mic'd up. They had a mic on, on Challen Rogers. They had a mic on Jamie Dowick. And I think they had a mic on um, Maddie Sawyer. And they had a mic around the table. And it was a good little video. You can find it on, on YouTube on the Rock page. Um, but when they're getting ready to make their second pick, you can hear them all say, you know what? Let's take a chance. Let's go after the kid. And so they draft Latrell Harris out of St. Catharines, and they feel that he has the most upside of anybody in the draft. And that is saying a lot because I think Challen Rogers could be the best player in that draft. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. But The Rock, you know, still aging, um, not getting much younger. With You know, they didn't have a, a lot of draft picks. They picked guys close to home. Um, they took some chances on a few guys, but I think – you know, if Challen Rogers is going to be the stud he is going to be, and if Latrell Harris can impress and get under Bruce Codd's defensive system and learn that kind of right out of the gate, uh, I think they'll be really happy with him. They got Jordan Magnuson out of Coquitlam, who's uh, still a very raw and young defender. But again, they feel that he has a lot of upside. So if they can improve in some of their areas, get younger, uh, replace some of the bodies that they're going to be losing, whether it be injury or retirement, um, you know, they're going to be behind the eight ball a bit. But I think you can never really sleep on Toronto. Um, and in a nine-team league, when six of nine make the playoffs, you can't sleep on anybody. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this team takes shape. We're going to talk about the Rock a little bit more um, in a few minutes. But as we kind of go down this draft board here and looking at teams, we talked about the Rush, we talked about the Rock, we talked about Georgia. Um, Calgary had Holden Gatoni just kind of waiting there for them. Uh, they always knew he was going to be their guy. It's an incredible story about Holden Katoni. Um, he's a Calgary kid. He used to be the ball boy for the Roughnecks when he was a young guy. Uh, got a lot of playing time with the Peterborough Lakers and down at John Hopkins. And they're really high on him. Uh, a left-hander that's probably going to fit into their offense right away. Uh, if not, be kind of an every-other-game kind of guy. And I think he's going to do a lot for them. I like the pick of Vaughn Harris. He thoroughly impressed me in the Man Cup. Actually, the past few Man Cups that he's played in, uh, just a real slick right-hander, can shoot the ball from anywhere, and just loves to be out there and loves to compete. And I think he's a good body to put out there with Curtis Dixon. Doesn't need the ball on his stick a lot. Can bang a crash, set picks, roll the net, and be a real asset for them on the righty side. And then they got Matt Symes out of Whittier, the Maple Ridge product. Uh, who just absolutely impressed throughout the WLA season and, and was a real star for the Maple Ridge Brards in their Man Cup run. Obviously fell a little bit short, but his stock rose as the season went on. And when they were able to take him with the 21st overall pick, uh, they were extremely happy. They got Brody Eastwood and Keegan Rittinger, uh, 26 and 27, so they add some Western flavor. Uh, Brody Eastwood's stock's kind of been fluctuating. Um, there was a lot of people really high on him. Uh, when he was with Victoria Play in junior, him and Jesse King were kind of 1-2. Uh, and then he goes to Nanaimo to play senior A, and his stats kind of waver a little bit. And he kind of dropped down the depth depth chart of a lot of general managers. But if he can get in that system, and, and he can get under the tutelage and the leadership uh, of Kurt Miloski and learn that system. I think Brody Eastwood could be another depth guy for Calgary. So uh, they did some excellent work in the draft. Uh, Rochester takes Josh Courier and Kyle Jackson, 6'7". Uh, and then they get Dan Lomas at 16, which is a great pick. I'm a huge Dan Lomas fan. I'm a huge Josh Courier fan as well, another Peterborough guy uh, that just continues to compete and, and learn the game. Uh, he went to Virginia Wesleyan College, but his skill set in the indoor game is a two-way guy. And I think that's what Rochester needs. They ended up trading um, Brad Self to Buffalo. So they're going to have to fill in uh, a little bit of those spots in the transition role. So, um, you know, Rochester were able to pick up guys where they needed in positions. And that's kind of what this draft was all about. And when I talked to a lot of general managers um, from all over the league, they said, you know, one, two, three, that's kind of set. It was always going to be Keenan Rogers Messenger. That was always the plan. And then four down, it was a crapshoot. Um, 
you can either take the best guy available or you take the guy that kind of fits your team. And that's what Georgia did. Um, not a lot of people had Brian Cole going for. He jumped. And I'm not sure if Georgia thought maybe someone else was going to take him. That's why they took him so high. But uh, they were really high on him. And it was a matter of byproduct of what your team needed. And they needed a lefty two-way guy, a possible guy that could play out the front door if Johnny's not ever, Johnny Powell isn't ready to go. And that's what this draft was. It was what is best for your team or the best guy available. I guess that's kind of how every draft goes, but that's just how open it was. Uh, New England took Seth Oaks at eight. Um, that was part of their trade with Buffalo to get up into that eight spot. Um, University of Albany product, he declared early. Uh, he had some more time left, but he said, you know what? I'm done with the school and stuff. Uh, I want to go play some pro ball. And I think a lot of people are really high on Seth Oaks. I am as well. He's just a really natural uh, talent. I think New England's going to really like what he has. And the Black Wolf fans are going to be able to get behind a guy like Seth Oaks because he can make an impact right away. And then you have Colorado who got Zach Haywires at nine. And, you know, when I talk to a couple GMs, some say um, they weren't so high on him. Um they thought he might have been like a second or third round guy, but I completely disagreed with that. I thought Zach Haywires was a top 10 guy all the way. And I know Colorado is thrilled to have him uh, with, you know, John Grant, you know, on his swan song year for the most part. Uh, we all kind of see the writing on the wall. They're going to need bodies to step in. So they got Zach Haywires uh, with the ninth pick, and then they didn't pick until later in the draft at the. 35th spot and they got Taylor Stewart um, who's a guy who's another raw defender uh, that has incredible upside and if you get again you get some of these kids that are still pretty green and pretty raw and you get them in your system you can make them into any kind of player you want you know the the story that people continue to use about how to mold a player is Dane Smith when Dane Smith was drafted by Buffalo, he didn't play out the front gate his rookie year. He was a two-way D-tranny guy. And a lot of times with these young athletes, if you can't fit them, you know, if you draft a guy who's like, oh, this guy's going to be an offensive stud, but you're stacked out the front door, but you can't afford to just sit the guy, you find a place where he can work for you and use his athletic ability. And so a guy like Taylor Stewart, probably not going to be like a 30-goal scorer. And that's not where I'm going with this. But when you can get these young guys and mold them under your system and get them playing in your game plan, the sky's the limit for so many of these young kids, especially if they buy in and they commit. You know, one of the big things is as these guys were getting interviewed after, the, after they had been drafted by Mia Gordon during the draft, you know, okay, what next? And to a man, pretty much every one of them said, well, I just got to get in the best shape of my life. And, you know, far cry from when I got drafted back in 2001, you know, I, I was never in the best shape of my life. And, you know, a lot of those guys that were drafted in my year and, and, and previous and even a few years after that, that was never, you know, the mindset. It was just come in, be ready to go and make a contribution. Well, now the game has changed. Like, it's a completely different era now. And the way these young kids are coming into the NCAA or in, into the National Lacrosse League with four years of NCAA, one or two years of senior ball, and they don't come in as young boys. They come in as men. And they are ready to go from the outset. And these kids are fit. They are in shape. They're mean. They're ready to go and chomping at the bit. So uh, for some of you veterans that are out there, you better come into camp in the best shape of your life. Uh, great article. Um, I think it was by Chavez on, it might have been Stamper, uh, on just the success that Dan Dawson has had, and it's over on islandor.com. Uh, you can read it. And just talk about it. He's like, you know, I'm 36 now. I can't rest. All these kids are coming in in better shape and with more skills and bigger, faster, stronger. I have to be bigger, faster, stronger. And that's from a guy who's a first ballot Hall of Famer who just won his seventh man cup. He's in the gym every day. So if a guy like Dan Dawson is setting that example, you best believe 
everybody else needs to be doing that as well. Uh, the only team we haven't really talked about is Vancouver Stealth. They didn't pick until 11th overall, first pick in the second round. And Vancouver picked James Ray out of Robert Morris. And he was a guy they had their eyes on pretty much the whole time. He was always going to be the, the, the guy they were going to select unless something really strange happened in the top 10. Um, they're really excited about adding James Ray. I am too. You know, the only concern, and we're going to kind of talk about Vancouver uh, in a little bit down the road, is just with the additions they have on that right side and the bodies they have on that right side, you have Dutch, McCready, you now have James Ray, you have Corey Conway and Garrett Billings. That's five guys, so something's got to change there. Um, and I don't know what it's going to be. Um, the early prognosis uh, will be that either Ray or Joel McCready will probably run two ways in transition, uh, leaving Dutch, Billings, Conway, and then one of the other two to play out the front door. No, no, no. I'm, I'm still not sold um, on what to do there for the Vancouver South, and we'll talk about them um, in a little bit here. The, actually, the only other team we didn't talk about uh, was the Buffalo Bandits. They didn't pick first until uh, 13th overall when they got Justin Martin uh, out of the University of Guelph. Um, and again, you know, they're really sold on him. They also got Kevin Orleman, uh, the goaltender from Guelph. Uh, he played a little bit at uh, the end of the summer out here with Delta on a run to the Minto Cup. And Orleman will probably be their third goaltender with Cause and DeRuscio playing 1-2. And Orleman can be a guy for the future. Uh, you know, I'm a huge DeRuscio fan. And if this is maybe one of Cause's last couple years, DeRuscio will probably be... Uh, their goalie of the future, but Orleman um, has great talent and is going to be a guy that people will want to watch in years to come. And the interesting thing with how we're watching teams build now, and this was another question that I asked uh, Derek Keenan the other week, is are teams starting to plan for expansion? Now, we have no word of expansion, and... Keenan put it in a great way. He said, there's no money in the bank. And with no money in the bank, that means there's no teams coming in. And the closer and closer we get to the start of the 2017 season, the closer and closer we get to the 2018 season when Commissioner Nick Sakevich said he was going to add one to five teams. And he was adamant that he wanted to give teams a full year to prepare and market and build and grow in their fan base. And the closer we get, the shorter that time frame becomes. But if expansion is on team's mind, then you're going to see them start hoarding players, keeping guys on holdout list, knowing that if expansion does come, they're going to have to lose a couple players, and maybe they can expose guys that they're not really going to use, and that's how we transfer into the next topic of the day, and that is, the Toronto Rock have more Americans on their team now than they have ever before. Now, again, it's just under contract. It's not guys who, you know, have made their final roster because we won't know that until later on in December when rosters have to be finalized just before Christmas. But when they signed or they traded for the rights to Paul Rabel, everyone kind of scratched their head and said, oh, okay, what's this all about? And then we kind of found out that it might be kind of um, a sidebar deal to get Paul Rabel to come and do some camps up at the Toronto Rock Athletic Centre, which he did this past weekend. And to rave reviews, they had a ton of kids out there. Uh, great job by Paul, uh, by Paul Rabel to come up and do it. But an even better job by Colin Doyle, who's the director of athletics at the track, and Jamie Dowick for putting that all together getting all the kids out there and having Paul come up and teach these kids the field game. But what do they do with Paul Rabel? And Paul has been adamant in saying that, you know, with the two leagues crossing over, it's really hard for MLL players to do both. Because, let's be honest, the MLL doesn't want their players doing that. And so this brings us to the news that came out on Monday 
when the Toronto Rock made deals and signed free agent Tom Schreiber in Kieran McArdle. It's a one-year deal. Again, just gets him into camp. But Jamie Dowick says they've made a commitment to investing the time to get ready for our training camp, and they both have an opportunity to make our club. Schreiber said, I'm excited for the opportunity to compete in the NL, the NLL, and join a phenomenal organization like The Rock. And McArdle said, I feel the NLL is a good fit for me as I'm a young player and have the time to learn the inner game at this point in my career. I'm looking for the, forward to the challenge of playing on a smaller field and definitely the size of the Nets. So now what? And Paul Tutka asked this question uh, the other day. He said, if these guys make the Rock roster, what do they do at the end of the year? Because these guys are bona fide MLL stars. So now is it a Rabel effect where Paul Rabel is like, hey, man, if I play for the Rock, I can bring a few guys in. So they, they get McArdle and they get Schreiber, and now they have three Americans on their team. And, you know, they can all travel together. They could be together. They're not kind of alienated. But again, the conversation has to come back that if these American guys do make the Rock, what do they do? when the MLL season starts. Now, this came to light um, through a conversation with somebody on Twitter. I'm, I don't want to say his name because he kind of wants to um, be anonymous. Um, but there's uh, a thing going on with the Major League Lacrosse. Uh, basically, it's a marketing addendum, and teams and the players because they don't have a, a players association for the outdoor league. And so teams are trying to make, to ensure that guys are around all year long. Um, they're trying to get players to make off-field marketing appearances. But the players, you know, like signing autographs and doing promotional things and things like that. But the players are trying to leverage to get more money for that. Now, this person feels that MLL players signing NLL contracts will start to possibly force the hand of the MLL so that they do get paid. So it's a very interesting situation and something that we'll have to follow closely um, because this could be a huge coup for the NLL. And again, it could be just leveraged by some of these MLO players, but if more outdoor guys start signing indoor contracts, that's huge for the indoor game. That's huge for the landscape of lacrosse. And whether it's a leveraged thing or not, if these guys are serious about giving the indoor game a chance, and there aren't too many guys better to learn the indoor game from, say, like Colin Doyle in Toronto, then I really think the indoor game has gained a huge upper or upper hand on things. So we'll have to keep an eye on that because, you know, this could be maybe the first domino that starts the fall. You know, there are, I think it was 13 Americans played in the NLL last year. That's it. And I'm sorry, that's not good enough. There needs to be, like, 20, 30, 40 American guys playing indoors. The indoor game will never grow in the United States if Americans aren't playing it. It's just not going to happen. So that needs to be something that needs to be worked on. It needs to be a huge incentive and initiative for the National Lacrosse League to get more Americans playing. And as I've said before, and as we've talked about at nauseum on this show, there has to be a way for the two leagues to coexist so that the best players can play the best game and the fans can watch them all. So we'll just have to wait and see. We'll just have to wait and see. So uh, pretty interesting news, like I said, from the Toronto Rock about the signing of Schreiber and McArdle. Um, I don't know. It could be a Paul Rabel effect. Um, as one fan said, maybe he's just building a stable of U.S. players like Nexus from the WWE and just kind of 
trying to start an invasion. But I don't know. It'll be interesting. Um, I like what Jamie Dowick's doing. Um, you know what? He's probably got a slew of guys that he's inviting to camp um, from his own backyard. Uh, free agents, street free agents, guys that are just out there not playing any real ball and they're going to get a chance to walk into camp. But the signing of two Americans, they've never had more than one on their team. I think the last American to play for them was um, Finneran. So, I think. Don't quote me on that. But I think the last American to play for the Toronto Rock was Kevin Finneran. I know they had Tower on their team uh, a few years ago, uh, way back. Um, I don't think he ever actually played. Maybe played one game. But I know Dog was... Uh, probably the last American that I can think of to play for the Toronto Rock. So now they have three basically kind of on the roster. So we'll have to keep our keep our eyes on that one um, and just see how it progresses. Um, and we'll talk more later on uh, when we kind of kick back things up close to the season about this whole MLL thing. And we'll keep tabs on it. Follow me on Twitter. And I'll be posting more stuff as we go. Um not only was the draft uh, last week, as was the awards ceremony and the Hall of Fame banquet. Um, the Hall of Fame was... I just didn't like the way the whole night went. Um, don't get me wrong, it was an incredibly emotional night and a special night for Tavares and Schutz and, and TK. Like... And those guys all spoke very well. Their inductees or their inductors, the people who inducted them, um, all told great stories. It was awesome to see JT's two kids get up there and, and be a part of his induction and, and just watching and listening to Josh talk about uh, the relationship that he had with his dad and Tracy Kluski, you know, just starting off saying, I, I can't believe I'm standing here being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And you could just see how much it meant to all three of those guys. And I thought they all spoke really well. Um, you know, it's not easy getting up there and speaking in front of a group of people, even if it is a group of your peers. Um, and, you know, you could tell that, you know, some guys were just reading scripts and other guys were just talking off the cuff, and that's fine. Um, that's just how public speaking goes. Some people are more comfortable with it than others. And I thought everybody did a fantastic job. No, what I would have liked to have seen was just to break it up a little bit. Um, along with the award ceremony, you know, they did all the awards first and then they did all of the Hall of Fame inductees. I would have liked to have seen them kind of break it up, you know, do a couple awards, do a Hall of Fame inductee. A couple more awards, another inductee. The end of the awards, and then do JT last, because they're always going to do JT last, but kind of end with JT. But instead of blowing through the awards in like 40 minutes, just break it up. It just seemed like they were rushing through everything. And this was a huge bone of contention for me, and I don't, I truly don't know why they did this, and I don't know why it happened. But it just shocked me to constantly see the commissioner and Mia Gordon and Dave Rowan, the CRO, and, and all these other league office people presenting the awards. Like, why weren't past award winners handing out these awards? Or current players? Or Hall of Fame members? Or executives? People in the league? Not people from the front office. It just... It was a weird situation to constantly see the commissioner walking up and handing out the awards. It was awkward the night before when the commissioner stepped aside and started letting other people call names of guys who got drafted. It was just really awkwardly done. And I know, you know, it's their first go around and, and they're trying to do things their own way and start a new system and all that stuff, but... It's a recognition of the players in the league. It's not about them. And it should be about past, present, and future. And I would have loved to have seen, you know, um, a former head coach winner of the, you know, head coach of the year or, or a current coach or maybe Paul Day get up there and present the coach of the year. And I know not all these people are there and, and you know, 
they were supposed to have people present and they didn't show up. But come on. It just, it was really weird for me and, and, and awkward. And then to see, you know, Scott Self go up there and accept the transition player of the year for his brother Brad and he's wearing a hoodie. Like, it may not seem like a big deal. But we have to start acting like a pro league and present a professional appearance. Like some of those kids that got drafted look great. JT's kid was one of the best dressed people there. The best dressed person was probably the oldest guy there. That was Papa Dilks. And he did an incredible job accepting the award on his son's behalf. Take some time. Care about your appearance. Don't wear hoodies to a gala like the awards and Hall of Fame ceremony. Have some pride. And look the part. All right, I'll get off that soapbox now. Because uh, <laughs> I get a little heated about little things like that. And I... I truly don't know why that bothered me so much, but it, it's just this whole mentality of, of a new regime and a new look and a new identity, and we still keep doing things that shouldn't be done and things that, you know, make us look second rate. And I don't want this league to look second rate. I want it to look the best it can be. Moving on, uh, with the draft, uh, as mentioned, um, Last week, there haven't been a whole lot of signings to the free agent or a lot of free agent signings or anything. Uh, there have been a couple. We're going to touch on them when we get to Vancouver in a minute. Um, but just to bring you up on a few things, Ben McIntosh signed a three-year deal with the Saskatchewan Rush. John Rannigan signed a one-year deal. Uh, we talked about Shriver and McArdle. Um, the Nighthawks signed Kyle Jackson, their first-round pick, to a two-year deal. Uh, Buffalo signed TJ Sanders, Blaze Riordan, Logan Holmes, and Kevin Orleman to one-year deals. Uh, the Nighthawks also signed Brian Rice and Josh Courier to more of their draft picks. To, uh, sorry, Courier got a two-year deal, and Rice got a one-year deal. And then the Black Wolves signed Doug Jameson and Dan Michael to one-year deals as well. So those are sort of the transactions that have transpired since the draft. But now we kind of move to Vancouver, and the other team that I want to focus on uh, before we kind of take our break here before training camps. And while this deal hasn't been officially announced yet, um, it has been led known that the Vancouver Stealth are going to sign... Peter McFetridge, an unrestricted free agent from the Calgary Roughnecks. Uh, I love this pick. Uh, I'm a huge Peter McFetridge fan, and I've been saying as soon as the sort of the year ended and the free agent list came out, um, I pointed out right away that I would love to have seen Doug Locker go out and get Peter. Um, and it took a little while, but they finally got it done. Um, no terms of the deal have been announced as of yet, but as I said, the deal hasn't actually been announced. It's just kind of been leaked to me, and, and it's pretty much a done deal um, that McFetridge is now a member of the Vancouver Stealth, and it gives Vancouver uh, another steady two-way guy. Uh, it reunites him with Justin Salt, his Burnaby Lakers brother. The dashing duo was finally together in the National Lacrosse League, and I'm a huge Peter McFetridge fan. As I said, he, he's a big body He's a veteran in this league. Uh, he knows what it takes to win. His compete level is through the roof. And, and he can play a lot of positions for you. He can play short man. Uh, he can play stay at home, but he's better as a, as a transition D guy. And so bringing him in is a huge uh, get for Doug Locker. Um, just beefs up their back end. And a guy who's pretty much um, been a consistent, healthy body throughout his career. Um, they went and got John Lintz just before the draft. We talked about that with Derek Keenan um, a couple weeks ago, and I like John Lintz again. Another, he's a true stay-at-home guy, 6'3", 210 left-hander. Um, will be a huge asset for Vancouver. Again, another guy that just consistently been healthy throughout his career, and that's what Vancouver needs. They need their D to stay healthy. Too many times they've lost guys to injuries, whether it was Sorensen or Beers or... I can't even think of some of the other guys that they've lost uh, on that back end. Oh, uh, 
Haas has been out. Uh, Garrison's been out. Like, those are key bodies to lose. And so when you bring in Lentz, and now they're bringing in um, Peter McFedridge, two guys that are consistently healthy, and, and two guys will help solidify that back in and get them a little bit younger, um, a little more athletic, and, and it just makes them a better team, adding those two guys. Now, the other person that we haven't really talked about, and I didn't talk about him two weeks ago when the deal was made. To be honest, I, I kind of forgot about the deal and everything that I was sort of rambling on about. But it was the acquisition of Corey Conway. And Corey Conway has led the WLA in assist, I think, seven of the last eight years or something ridiculous like that. Uh, he set a WLA record with um, 15 assists in one game. Like, the first game there, he just blew up. And Corey Conway is probably one of the best passers in lacrosse right now. Um, he's up there with Callum Crawford. He, and I think he could be like Callum Crawford. He's just not as athletic and not as dynamic. But he can put up numbers. He can be a 60-20 guy if he shot the ball more. Like, think about that. Corey Conway scored less I think under 10 goals this year in the WLA, and he has one of the most accurate shots I have ever seen. But he just has this blase fair attitude. And it's not a bad thing. He's just kind of, he just goes out there and goes about his business and, and is okay with being a passer and is okay stepping back and just feeding guys. And yet, watching him. Throughout his career, from even in minor when he was an intermediate and a midget, he was just so good and so gifted, naturally gifted with his stick. And if you ever get a chance during warm-ups, watch Corey Conway. It's just so natural, and, and he's able to just pick corners and find angles and lanes that most people can't see. And he doesn't put forth a lot of energy because he doesn't have to get to those spots just because he's such a big body. And if they can get him to buy into not just being, like, he's going to be a pass-first guy. Like, on that offense, when you have Garrett and you have Dutchie and you have um, now James Ray and you have Creeds and now you add Conway, they don't need another shooter, but they need Corey Conway to shoot. And... I'm still not sold that Garrett Billings is going to be 100% this year. Um, there's talk about him possibly being on the fire department or trying out for the fire department, so that could jeopardize his eligibility uh, if that is true. And if they can get Corey Conway to get his mind right and focus on lacrosse, and you know he has off-floor issues he needs to deal with, but when you see him play... Some might say, you know what, he can do whatever he wants off the floor as long as he puts up, you know, one and seven every night. Yes and no. You need a guy to be committed both on and off the floor. You know, he's got to start training with Dutchie and Small and some of these guys. He's got to get to the gym. He's got to get himself in better shape. He's got to buy in. And if he can, there's no doubt in my mind that he can push for the all-time assist record in a regular season. Like, he's that good. And with, you know, the chemistry he already has with Dutch and Small, he's already going to be with two guys he's familiar with. You know, Logan Schuss is a great off-ball ball guy that he can feed to. He's got bodies out there that he can play with, and he should be able to fit in. But it's just he has to be able to say, you know what, I am invested. Your Doug Locker's taking a chance on Corey Conway because no other GM will. And Locker couldn't let him sit on the sidelines for another year and not at least bring him to camp and say, okay, Corey, we're going to give you a shot. And that's what they're doing. And so if they can get Corey into camp, he can come in like all the other rookies and all the other guys are going to do in great shape. And he can be a true team guy. Then I think we'll be able to see one of Corey Conway's best years in the NLL. But if he lets all the off-floor distraction get to him, um, he, he doesn't become a good locker room guy, then I don't know how long the experiment lasts. So there's another thing we'll just kind of have to keep our eye on as things go. 
Um, but I love the pickup by Doug Locker because you can't let Corey Conway sit there. You just can't. He's too good of a player to not at least bring to camp. And, you know, he's gotten a bad rap um, around the league. You know, he, he was one of those guys that a lot of players and, and former teammates, you know, when he was in Edmonton or when he was in Calgary, they are like, I don't know, man. He's not fitting in. And that's when he gets traded and that's when he gets moved. So if he can just put everything else aside and focus on six months of lacrosse, Corey Conway can be a huge get and huge asset for the Vancouver Stealth. One last thing before we get you out of here and on with the rest of your week and day, night, wherever you happen to be. Um, Team Canada announced their roster for a set of exhibition games uh, that will go on in October down in Denver. Uh, this is the Canadian men's field lacrosse team. Uh, they'll take on the University of Denver and the United States Air Force Academy on October 22nd and 23rd, respectively. And now this isn't um, the full national team. This is just a team that they put together. Um, but just looking at the names on this roster, it's the youngest team I think I've ever seen from Team Canada. And they're starting to go this way. And we talked about this uh, last year. Maybe it was two, it was two years ago uh, in 2014 when they were going to Denver and the World Field Games. And I talked about the fact that it's the new regime and they're starting to add more guys with NCAA experience uh, and more guys that have played the college game because they need guys that are used to that style of play and that pace of play. And, and it's, it's a very different lineup than I've ever seen from Team Canada. Here are the names. We'll get through them pretty quickly. Uh, Jake Bailey, Wes Berg, Jeremy Bosher, Dan Coates, Brian Cole, Chris Corbeil, Zach Courier, Brennan Donville, the Hossick brothers, Matt and Graham, Kyle Jackson, Mark Matthews, Ben McIntosh, Ian McKay, Mike Messenger, the Nobles, Jeremy and Jason, Ryland Reese, Challen Rogers, Dylan Roy, Dane Smith, Dan Taylor, Jeffrey Teat, Jay Thormer, Kyle Trolley, and Jason Weber. Like, that's a young team. That's like an under-25 team. And what this is, uh, when I think about it more, it's giving the Canadian executive team and, and their staff an opportunity to look at these kids without all those other, you know, experienced guys and veterans out there. They're just going to be playing college kids, so it's going to be guys around their age, around their skill level, around their size, and it gives them a chance to look at, look at them, you know, with clear eyes and clear visions and not all the other cast around them. Um, you know, no Dixon, um, no Matt Vince, no Rubish. Uh, you know, some of these guys, Dylan Ward, have, that have been a part of this Canadian team for the last few tournaments aren't there. And so by bringing these young kids to play in these exhibition games, it allows them to look at them with a fine-tooth comb and give them experience representing Canada at a national level. And I think it's great for the program. I think we need to continue to develop our young guys and not have this big gap. And I think that gap isn't really there anymore because of what we've seen in the success of the Canadian program uh, at the international level. You know, when you go and play, you know, the indoor game, yeah, you know, the big names are always going to be there. But for these smaller field tournaments, I think getting these young guys fresh out of college Getting them playing on these teams is imperative for them to get them that, you know, national and international experience. So uh, nice job by the Canadians to get these guys out there. Again, October 22nd and 23rd in Denver. Uh, we'll probably have more on that um, after it starts and after it's over. But, uh, again, you can, you know, it'll be all over Twitter and it'll probably be all over Inside Lacrosse as well because those games are uh, very heavily covered down there in the state. So expect for uh, the crew, you know, Kyle Devitt and all those boys um, will do a great job covering it for Inside Lacrosse and all the other outlets. So uh, keep tuned for that. But I just wanted to pass that on your way um, because it's a pretty interesting roster. Um, you know, how many guys on that group that I just listed off have never played for the senior men's team? Maybe 75, 80% of them. You know, Berg's been there. Coetzee's been there. Corbeil's been there. Uh, Graham Hossick's been there. Brennan Donville's been there for a couple years. Uh, Matthews has played for the senior men's team, um, as has uh, Jeremy Noble, uh, Dylan Roy, and that's it. All those other guys um, are real first-timers. So, uh, you know, Dane Smith is a guy 
that has never played field really at all. I think he played a couple games for Rochester in the MLL, and that was it. And he really wants to be on that team in 2018 that goes to England for the World Games. So, um, you know, we're still a couple years away from those even happening, but the Canadian team starting to put the pieces in place and starting to build that program and getting a look at some of these young kids. So uh, best of those, all those guys, um, in about three weeks' time down there in Denver. That'll be about it. Um, like I said at the start of the show, we're just going to take a bit of a month-long break here, uh, recharge the batteries, build up some uh, interviews in, in the bank, uh, talk to a lot of players, a lot of coaches, and get you ready for training camp. We'll be back in November, and we'll get you exclusive and extensive coverage of everything that's going on around the league. Uh, if you have a, a player or a coach or a lacrosse personality that you'd like to talk to, please let me know. Drop me an email, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Um, this is a huge time uh, for Nick Sakevich and his crew. Uh, they need to ramp things up heading into the season, heading into training camps, and it needs to start building momentum pretty quick. Um, uh, you know, I'm an honest guy, and it was funny when um, they announced the Media Person of the Year award. You know, I wasn't there, it didn't like. I'll leave that aside. I wasn't there. Um, and Claude Fig, you know, he said, uh, if you ever, you know, if you haven't followed Teddy on Twitter, you should do so. He speaks his mind. Well, I kind of do. And to be honest, I've been not very impressed with the things that have come out um, during this offseason. Um, it's lackluster. Uh, it, it, it's taking a step back from what we've been doing. And that has to change because, as I said, you know, a few months ago, if all these prospective owners are keeping their eyeballs glued to what the NLL is doing, I can't say that they would be impressed with what they've seen. Um, we need to be better, all of us. Um, top down, bottom up, we all need to be better. So uh, that's why I would like to take some time off just to kind of refresh, regroup, and get ready. Um, I know, you know, Stealth Classified continues and all the other, you know, lacrosse radio shows and blogs and internet shows and all those other things are going to start ramping up as we get on to the season and closer to the season. But we all need to be better, myself included. And so, in saying that, I will bid you adieu for the 2016 essentially season and we'll come back in November and we will hit things full steam and get you set up for the 2016-2017 National Lacrosse League season. Will the Rush three-peat? Will they match the Rochester Nighthawks? They are the two-time champs. And so far, I, I don't see why they would. But that's a story. Forever. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for tuning in. As always, we'll talk to you in a month or so. Be excellent to each other. Peace.